Please rise in body or spirit for the reading of the scripture. Today's reading is Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified and one confesses with the mouth, and so is saved. The inspired word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Steve told me I had an hour. (laughs) I'm seeing shaking heads over here. No. Okay, we'll try to keep it to 45 minutes. You know, there's a story about a guy named Bob, and and Dusty told you my name is Bob. I'm not telling you a story about this, Bob. It's a different Bob. Bob was a middle-aged salesman who was on a business trip in another state. And things have not been working well for him in his marriage. In fact, to his shock, three hours before he was getting ready to leave on this business trip, his wife informed him that she was filing for divorce and the papers will be finalized soon. To make matters worse, Bob gets to his hotel and he realizes that his largest client that he's going to visit the next day hasn't even returned his calls. So Bob is on the verge of losing his wife and his largest client. In his motel room that evening, in a state of extreme despair, Bob remembered how his Christian friend had spoken of this unusual change that Christ had worked in his life when all else seemed hopeless. Just as Bob had suspected from the numerous times that he'd been in a hotel, there was a Gideon Bible in the drawer next to the the bed. So cautiously he pulled it out. I don't know why cautiously, but apparently he cautiously pulled it out. And he searched for help with his despair. And some notes on the inside of the Gideon Bible kind of tell you where to go for these different hurts in your life. And it told him to read the Gospel of John chapter 3. And Bob knew about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from attending church as a young boy. He was even able to find the book of John with relative ease. And after reading and rereading and rereading the story of Nicodemus, He placed his trust in Christ's death and resurrection for his eternal destiny. And he fell asleep with a peace, knowing that he had eternal life. But the stress of the day had taken its toll. And while Bob slept, he died of a massive heart attack. So in light of the verses in Romans 10, verses 9, 10, This hypothetical but nevertheless real-to-life situation provokes several real questions. What seems clear to us is that Bob believed in his heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. But on the other hand, did he really confess with his mouth that Jesus is Lord? In fact, we must face the down-to-earth question as to whether or not at his death Bob goes to heaven. Well, Paul shares a few things about confessing our faith. 
In Romans, Paul's been speaking about the fact that the word of salvation is near to us and that we don't have to do some great thing to gain salvation. In fact, there's really nothing that we can do on our own to gain salvation. Yet salvation is near to each and every one of us. Those who hear this word and respond to it and understand it and receive it and in faith rest their souls on it, find it in their hearts and minds this very real way, this peace. In these two verses, Paul ex- is describing and explaining this experience. He's not seeking to explore the ABCs of the gospel, nor is he teaching the truth as he's been doing in the previous chapters. Rather, Paul describes this genuine experience of salvation in the believer. And it's not simply accepting a formula or a doctrine within our mind or making an audible proclamation. It's not just joining an institution or a church. It's rather a profound experience, an encounter with Jesus Christ, which changes how we think of him and how we live our lives because of our personal understanding of him. And how we feel about him, which is expressed in our attitude to him in adoration and our worship. However, this is not just a profound feeling which overwhelms us, which could easily dissipate over time, but it's a profound influence on our inner being. Because we have understood the truth about Jesus and what it means for us and what it demands from us in a positive reaction in how we live. This is what Paul is expressing in these two verses, and because it's not easy to make clear, he speaks it twice in two different ways, which through saying the same thing, he hopes to deepen our experience and understanding of what he's trying to get across. These verses are deeply doctrinal, but they also tell us how this truth is powerful and deep inside of us, in our being. And it shows how we should relate to Jesus. What's evident from Paul's word is that salvation, if we're truly saved, is as near as our thoughts or our deepest feelings. It's in our thoughts and speaking because it comes from the engagement of our heart with Jesus. Our innermost being, called the heart by Paul, is engaging with Jesus, is filled with Jesus and what He is and what He has done for us. It's a deep engagement because of the realization of what He's achieved for us for all eternity and for the joy that it means for each and every one of us. It's a deep engagement in our heart and there is glory and wonder of that deep love of Jesus and God the Father who gave who has gone to such great lengths and such sacrifice to save sinners like us. When we claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's a confession with our mouth. We express our faith and believe, which engages us in a life living with Jesus. This confession that Jesus is Lord is far deeper and more powerful than simply stating this truth about Jesus. Indeed, Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. He is the eternal Son of the Father. He created all things, and all things in their being and continuing in being 
are because he upholds all things by the power of his word. He is the one who has won the greatest victory of all time. For he's overcome completely and eternally all of our enemies. Sin, Satan, death, and hell. He is Lord because he reigns now from on the throne of heaven and glory. He sits at the right hand of the Father and he will reign again until he has put down all his enemies. He is Lord reigning to order all things in heaven and earth and history so that the eternal plan of redemption is completed. See, he's already won this victory and ended death for all who believe, but he's continually working so that all those who have been given to him by the Father will also be saved. And when this is done, then he'll come again to judge the living and the dead and gather his redeemed to everlasting glory. These are truths of Jesus being Lord, but when someone who is saved confesses that Jesus is Lord, it's not simply confessing the truth, but acknowledging that Jesus is the one whom we give our total obedience, our worship, our adoration of our whole being, holding nothing back. This confession is an expression of worship and adoration. It's an expression of surrender and bowing down in obedience to Christ. It's an expression of our realization of His glory and the wonder of His person and the feeling of the love shed in our hearts. We have an example of this in the Gospels when Peter was asked by Jesus who he and the disciples thought he was. And Peter replies, You are the Christ, the living Son of the living God. And it wasn't just a statement for Peter but an expression of his attitude towards Jesus and his deep commitment to him, together with love and adoration. We have the same expression when Jesus came specifically for Thomas after the resurrection. Anybody in here a doubting Thomas? I have been at times. Thomas had been unable to believe the testimony of his brothers in Christ, that Jesus had risen. He saw perhaps more clearly how difficult this was than all the others. How could Jesus rise from the dead? So when Thomas saw Jesus for himself, he was able to take in all of what had happened, that Christ had really risen from the dead, and what it meant. And it produced the confession in Thomas with his mouth my Lord and my God. It was faith and utter surrender to God and Jesus the Savior. So this leads on to this place of resurrection and the experience and receiving and salvation. And we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's what happened to Thomas. But what does it express? Why is it that the resurrection is the focal point here? Why was it the apostles preached Jesus in the resurrection through the Acts of the Apostles? The fact is, is that the resurrection is the seal of all that Jesus has done in his death. And believing in our heart is that deep assurance of what it means to us and our safety for eternity. God raised Jesus from the dead. And this is the great act of God which is so important and revealing. 
Christ was given the work by God to atone for the sin of the world for you and for me so that God could be just when he justifies the ungodly. And until Jesus had fully atoned for the sin and fully exhausted the punishment due against sin, he could not end the experience of the penalty of sin, which is death. Jesus had to suffer until God's law was completely satisfied, until the price was paid for each of us. God couldn't justify a sinner or account the sinner justified in his sight until that law was fully met. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus engaged to make this happen, and when God raised Jesus from the dead, God was declaring that his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he paid in full for the sins of this world. So believing in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead is the expression of our inner being, our trusting in, our glorifying in, and resting upon this wonderful work that Jesus has completed and knowing that he's completed it for each and every one of us. God has declared that Jesus had completed the law in his death and resurrection and Christ indeed died for us. So this is the reality of salvation. We believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead and we lay hold by faith in our deepest being upon all that that resurrection implies so that we are justified in God's eyes. The faith in our hearts is that deep assurance and resting upon Jesus that Jesus has saved us, that we are saved and that we live in the love of God and we're resting on the fact that Christ has satisfied that law in our place. And for us, we can never be lost or condemned. From this inner faith and trust then comes the assured confession concerning the worth and completeness of Christ as our Savior. And so we fulfill that promise that whoever believes shall have eternal faith. There's eternal life. This is our Christian experience and our salvation. And it's not a matter of just what's in our head or just believing that that condition for salvation would make it would make faith a work and so a work of personal merit we know that we can't be saved by our works instead salvation is an experience and it's a happening it's a work that has begun and continued and ended by the holy spirit in each and every one of us opening our mind and our heart to the glory of jesus and the meaning of his death, and giving us the ability not only to understand all this, but to rest our souls on Jesus as our Savior. So what about Bob? Does Bob go to heaven? I see some yeses. He accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, but he didn't outwardly confess it to others. I think Bob goes to heaven. He didn't really have a chance to confess to others, but he accepted Christ in his heart. Some might argue with me, but this is what I believe. So why did I choose this passage for today? One of the things that I've done in retirement is I volunteer as a chaplain at St. Luke's and at Jones Regional up in Anamosa. I had an experience a few months back that had a great impact on me. In fact, the first time I gave this message was like a week after this happened because it just really drove me to the core. 
And it was not about a patient, but about a family member who didn't know if that patient or their loved one had accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I'd met this family earlier in the day and got to know a little bit about the patient and the family. They were very nice people. But when I asked about their loved one's faith, they were at a loss. You see the patient, we'll call him Bob. That's an easy name to use today, and I've used it a lot. He was unconscious, and he wasn't able to communicate back to his family members. He was a patient in hospice and most likely would never regain consciousness. And in fact, he never did. He was there to be kept comfortable during his last days before death. So while we had a nice chat and had a prayer with Bob, there was a tugging at the heart of one of the family members. So fast forward a few hours later, and I was asked to go back and visit with someone in Bob's room. And it was his niece. We'll call her Mary. I don't know why I picked Mary. I just picked a name. Mary was clearly concerned about whether Bob would go to heaven or not. She said, he could be mean and not really a nice person. She'd never heard him say that he confessed and had accepted Christ. With tears flowing down her face, she asked me what we can do to ensure that Bob gets into heaven. And I had to share with Mary that without Bob being able to speak, we can't ask him directly if he's accepted Christ. She asked if there was a prayer that I could say over Bob that would ensure he would get into heaven. And this is where it gets tricky. I had to tell Mary that there was no prayer that I could say that it would ensure that Bob would go to heaven. That accepting Christ and having that personal experience we defined earlier can only be done by the person wanting that relationship with Christ. I did tell her that I think hearing is the last sense that goes as we're dying. I suggested we could pray over Bob and ask him to accept Christ in his heart even though we wouldn't have that two-way conversation with him. So we did that. We gathered around Bob's bed, we held hands, and we prayed over Bob. And we prayed that he say in his mind and his heart, what I was saying, if he had not accepted Christ, that he could do that now. This is why I chose this passage today. My experience with this family member in tears and grief and fearful that her loved one would not go to heaven. They didn't ask Bob until it was too late for him to respond. So I'm asking you, I'm begging you, Tell your family that you've accepted Christ as your Savior. Confess it with your mouth to each other. I can tell you that my family knows that I have accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I can tell you that all of my kids have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. I can tell you that three of my four, that one we're still working on, siblings, have accepted Christ as their Savior. I don't have to worry about them if they end up on their deathbed or they die suddenly. I know where they're going. It's simple. All you got to do is tell each other. That's it. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. 
I know where I'm going because the Bible tells me if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus rose from the dead, that I will have salvation. And you can have that too. Go ahead. Do it right now. Turn to one of your family members or your friends and tell them. I've accepted Christ as my personal Savior. I'll wait. And if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can do that right now too. Just say these words in your heart as I share them. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful that You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. I'm thankful that when I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that You promised that I would be saved. I turn to You. I confess that I have sinned and I ask for Your forgiveness, Lord. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that You rose Him from the dead so that I may be saved. We ask this all in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.